The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we are webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. So thrilled to be here with you on this Wednesday. As you know, if you watch the show on Wednesday morning, we start with Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampache is here and she will be answering your questions live in just a moment. We're gonna talk about how you can participate with that, but I also wanna tell you that in the second hour, we have Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allspa Jackson will be here with me. She is the executive director of a wonderful charity called Autism Care and Treatment Today, or ACT Today for short. We are going to be joined today by Vince Redman, who is a marriage and family therapist, but he is also someone who has extensive experience working with individuals on the autism spectrum, providing ABA therapy. Vince is going to be talking with us today about sibling issues, so that's going to be a very exciting hour in the next hour. But first, we want to talk about how you can interact with us. Emily's going to show you some of the different ways that you can participate. I'll remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, you'll see there's a variety of different things you can do, and including check out our blog. But you'll see a computer screen. It has a triangle on it. Click on the triangle, and you can be watching the live show with us or the most recently recorded live show. To the side of that is a white box. You can put your cursor there, start typing, hit enter, and it will show up here on the screen, and you can be participating live with us. Really remarkable. It's entirely free. There is no login process. You have complete anonymity. So you have the ability to ask whatever you would like to ask. If there is something where you want us to get back to you specifically, you will want to include some of your uh, contact information. We will not share that with the audience at home. All right. It is time for Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Grand Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. We welcome Dr. Doreen Grampache to the morning. show. We Good love morning. Wednesday morning and an opportunity to talk to you because you really are an expert in the field. Thank you so much, Shannon. It's always a pleasure being here. Well, it's it's a thrill for all of us. Now, I do like to remind everybody at the start that Dr. Grampache, who really is a visionary in the field of autism, has so much she can share with us, but she will not be giving any child-specific advice. In fact, no one on the show can give child-specific advice because of the format 
format in which we're talking to you. There's, there's no way that you could give us enough infor information that Dr. Grandpache could give you child-specific advice. Right. We just want to be very careful about that, and we'll do our best, but uh, we'll have to keep it kind of general, unless you really want us to give you specific information, in which case, please, you know, write to me offline, and we'll set up an appointment and so on. Okay. Uh, I, I have so many things I want to get to, but first, I want to talk a little bit about an event that happened yesterday here in the right. state of California. There was a hearing about the insurance mandate that, that went into effect a year ago, last July 1st, mm -hmm. and that has now been extended until 2017. Mm -hmm. And I know I got to watch about a half an hour of it. It was very emotional and moving, the part that I I watched and so you you were there mm -hmm, yeah and what was so your takeaway you, what did you watch did you watch the parents I watched the, the last half hour of it which was the parent would have it was been a lot of open to the public yes right? so was, there were some parents from Orange County that were so moving there was one individual with autism who who spoke right. um, at, which was very moving there were a lot of uh, professionals who were speaking about very specific things uh, funding for yeah I go back and see those because that occurred right after I finished testifying mm -hmm. and I had to just when I finished testifying the whole the actual uh, hearing was over at that point mm -hmm. because uh, it was the last person was the, the representative from the health uh, insurances and he came right after me and I had to leave for the airport but so it was a great hearing and it was really intended to talk about the effect of a Senate Bill 946 and how it has changed California. And um, of course, the, you know, there was representation from the regional centers and DDS. Uh, the new director of DDS uh, was there and he's a lovely gentleman. Okay. Um, I really look forward to going and meeting with him again. Um, and there were a lot of, uh, there was, so there was representation from DDS and then there was some uh, presentation of data, which I don't think was quite accurate, but nevertheless, they were just trying to tell us that they are, there's a company that's trying to take records now and data about of how many children are now receiving services and how SB 946 has changed and increased access, mm -hmm. essentially. And then there was representation from, um, of course, the parents and the Autism Society, and uh, that's Marsha Eichelberger, who is the yes. current president of the Autism Society for California. And I'm definitely we're going to get Marsha to come on. I've yeah. known Marsha for a hundred years, <laughs> and she's she's a fantastic mom uh -huh. and just an incredible advocate for families. And uh, she was accompanied by Beth Burke and um, Kristen Jacobson, and and Kristen Jacobson is also a very very um, effective advocate for families and she they they did a fabulous job in my mind they were the best um, Rick Rollins spoke also on behalf of uh, the Association for Regional Centers the ARCA mm -hmm. and um, I spoke uh, to represent the providers perspective and then there was a gentleman who also spoke to uh, or testified on behalf of the health uh, um, insurance uh, organizations and it was really good I think the majority of what came up was uh, everyone thankfully we more or less all had similar issues or the same issue the one issue that went across the board that everyone seemed to be struggling with what um, is the copay issue we all raised that as a big problem yeah. and while SB 946 has clearly increased access, obviously, to families, and there are still issues with, of course, families that can't gain access still, but yeah. the biggest issue, I think, is those that who do receive 
uh, coverage, but they uh, decline their coverage or they reduce their hours because they can't afford the co-pays, co-insurance or deductibles. And of course, AB 89 from last year prevents the regional centers right now to contrib from contributing to the deductibles. And it also says, you know, the law basically says that the regional center may contribute to the co-pays. You know, and all of us were asking, and even ARCA, you know, Association for Regional Centers was saying they would be, they would appreciate, they want to have the opportunity to help cover some of these other, um, and so, you know, they were supporting the repealing of AB 89 as well. So that was wonderful to hear. The concept being that, you know, the families should have access, obviously, but we really want them to uh, be able to uh, uh, share the cost and not have to pay for it themselves and have the regional centers kick in. So that's a very important thing. And so that issue came up several times. Other issues that were important that came up, I feel, were things like the delays in the process of getting insurance funding. And a lot of people talked about that. I did as well. Uh, you know, some of the, essentially the delay tactics, I would say, that are used by the health carriers, the insurance carriers. And so um, I think uh, those issues were discussed quite a bit. Uh, let's see, what else? We discussed um, some tests that are being administered for, for insurance that are not even supposed to be, like cognitive measures. And all the different things that are said in terms of th uh, insurance not being medically necessary, you know, or services not being medically necessary, those, that's all illegal, you know, yeah. they're not supposed to be doing that. And um, I, I brought up in particular uh, the whole, the perspective of uh, Senator Leno, who was there, who is involved with the uh, budget committee for SB 946, was very, very awesome to have him there. His questions were so pertinent, and he brought up a lot of different things in regards to how, you know, the compensation that providers receive. And um, one of the, the important things I brought up, which was received well by Senator Steinberg, and he actually asked the, the health insurance representative about this, is the IMR situation, the Independent Medical Review. Mm -hmm. The concern that we as providers have had, or I particularly am very sort of concerned about this, is that the people that do the Independent Medical Review are extremely, they have absolutely no idea what ABA is. Right. And so, you know, it's fine to have people that are, who are um, <clears throat> outside the field, let's say, as long as they're informed of yeah. what we do. A lot of these people have absolutely no clue what ABA is. So right. how am I going to have a discussion with someone, you know, a neurologist or a psychiatrist who thinks ABA occurs one hour a week and right. is like speech therapy? So, you know, those types of things are problematic. So, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. It was very good. And I, unfortunately, I had to leave. And I did hear that there was a lot of public comments afterwards. So. And, I, and I only got to see a half an hour of it, but it was very moving. And, and they talked about a lot of the same things that you just mentioned. And of course, it was a, a very hot topic among the families right. uh, was the Medi-Cal. There were, there were a huge yes. group of people who were saying, please, we had 
services. We've lost them. Yes. And it's life-changing. Yes. And Senator Steinberg gave an explanation for the first time about where where that was and how much he desired for it to be a part of and that budgetary constraints didn't allow it, but that he is hoping that... And, and he put out a plea and said, I will need all of your help to get this passed. Right. And I heard that very distinctly. And, you know, I know uh, Nancy is with... Nancy Alsbaugh-Jackson is with me on this. Anything that we can do to help that because to say that our financially strapped parents who have so many other issues on top of autism that they not get the most needed help right. uh, is devastating to me so yeah. I'm hoping that with Senator Steinberg's help that, and he said, I, he said very clearly, I have heard you on this. Uh, there were families who drove down from Orange County, and most of them were um, families that English is a second language, and they stood and talked. And, and in one one case, they had the son get up and speak, and it was just, I think it was a very emotional moment for everybody. That's wonderful. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, I I felt. Uh, I wanted to have seen the whole thing, but I felt very encouraged. I'm glad that they had the hearing. I think it was important because we can't just put things in place and say, good, that's taken care of. We right. have to check in and see right. if it's working. And overwhelmingly, people said to the, the panel, ABA is a lifeline. This right. is life-changing. Please help us to get more access to this. And Right. And I hope it is on, I think it it might be in their archives. I mean, it was on, on C-SPAN yeah. or whatever the, the TV channel is. And so we might be able to get copies of it because I think it was, it was important to see. Yeah. Yeah. I know that the uh, the last half hour is on the site. That's why I was able to see it afterwards. Great. But Great. Um, for that parent and, and for the public comment, because it wasn't That's all awesome. just parents. It was a lot of providers as well. But absolutely amazing. But we want to get to questions because you guys have written in overwhelmingly this week. Uh, I want to start with uh, somebody who would like a little FaceTime with you in each office. Hi, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. Uh, my son is a client of CARD and I know Dr. Doreen is busy, but there is there any way that maybe she can come out and like have have a day with parents in each of the facilities, have a parent gathering with one and one only, uh, because they go on to say that you are the only doctor that knows what the mm -hmm. heck you're talking about. Just That's a thought so nice. and That's love you nice. guys. Yeah, I would love to do that. The last time I did that was in, I think, 2010, where because that was our 20th year anniversary and I traveled all over the country and literally the entire year yeah in order to be able to go to every site and actually we had a little celebration at every site yeah. with the families and with our therapists our staff I just I love to do that and I, I will I'm I, I can put my personal life on hold in order to do that um, I just can't put my work life on hold right yeah. now I mean card is just going through such an amazing uh, series of expansions and developments right now with not it's not just that we're opening a lot of new offices and locations I mean you know I don't know if I told you that we one of our locations I know these are the things you like to know about yeah. that we just uh, are in the process of opening right now is at Baton Rouge in mm, Louisiana yeah. and it's funny that we started that process and right after we found our, our second supervisor and hired a lot of staff and currently we're in the process of getting the location set up but as we were you know already heavily invested into it uh, the state came out with an emergency 
plea for ABA providers and now they're basically approving everyone because they have such a, a high need there, which is amazing to me. But, uh, um, and I really like the state of Louisiana, actually. I mean, they're Are the bored. people qualified? This is my question. Let me just tell you something, and I don't know, maybe she'll see this, but she, I, the supervisor that I train, I, we just had their supervisor, we did our first round of training for mm -hmm. supervisors. Um, actually, you know, we have one every other month, and this was last, gosh, I don't know, a couple of months ago. Uh -huh. And uh, one of the people attending, that was a pretty large group of supervisors, I think we were training like 17 at that time, or they were just initiating their training. And I have to say, one of my top favorites in that group was the supervisor who will be in Baton Rouge. Awesome. She had been already practicing in the field. And you know, when I when we do these trainings, a lot of times we have very young people who are board certified and they haven't had a lot of experience. But yeah. I will say that Amy uh, was doing a fabulous job in awesome. training and I really liked her her style and her process, and I think she's going to be a fantastic supervisor. Okay. And then, of course, we have our own senior, Cat yeah. Minch, living there yes. now, which is spectacular for that region. I mean, Cat's incredible. She's a genius. So yeah. She's well, I know the card the people region. will always be qualified. I'm worried if they're opening up the state and, and, yeah. and yeah. You know, I don't licensing know what's a bunch of people. Happen. I have concerns yeah. about, you Absolutely. know, people should make sure Absolutely. that they're working with somebody who's had significant training, which is what you do at card. You ensure right. that right. they do. Really, yes. Uh, well, uh, we'll, we'll look forward to hearing more about the Baton Rouge office, fun. but you know, and, and they so, do say I mean, you're to, very busy to respond. Yeah. I mean, and I will, I hopefully, um, and we just got some new management at Carson's so that'll be very helpful as well with Sam coming on full board. So I think hopefully next year maybe I'll be able to do that again. I think next year would make sense because it'll be our uh, 25th. Yeah. Right? Wow. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. That'll be kind of cool. Quite a milestone. Yeah. Okay, so we'll we'll look forward to hearing more about that and seeing ways that we can clear your schedule so that <laughs> they yeah, can get more fun. FaceTime. Uh, it's amazing. It really is amazing. I will say that I my son was a client at Card for, I don't know, three and a half years before we met. I met you. Yeah. And I had heard Such so much shame. about you. And and I, you know, I was like, Well, that's great. I hear she's wonderful, but I haven't met her. Yeah, and it right? doesn't matter. I mean, I have, like, yeah, exactly. And then I met you and I went, oh my gosh, they were downplaying it. You're really incredible. Oh, but it, uh, it's such a shame. I hate to hear those things about, like, I just very you're rarely. You're one person. You can't yeah, be in all I places. I rarely get to see the, the kids and that's my favorite thing, so. But I can tell you that on the good note is that what you teach and how you teach and how hands-on you are with everyone from the they top, it, it the trickles kids, yeah. down. It yeah. absolutely trickles Thank down. Thank God for that, though, you know? Yeah. And it's taken years and years and a very good clinical director as well and very good senior clinicians. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to say that I think it's not... You know, we all kind of perfected the process together over the years, and I really have to credit the people who've been here for tw over 20, almost 20 years or over 20. Some of them have been here 20 years, you know, and uh, like this year, yeah, this is Evelyn Kung's 20th year. Wow. You know, and, and it's pretty amazing if you think about that. That it's is crazy. Amazing. So, um, and but then there's a handful. It's not just Evelyn. There's several. You know, Vince, who you mentioned, Vince yes, he's himself be on is. Later. He's been here past 20 years. He's amazing. been here more than 20 years. 
um, Hank and Cecilia and all of these people have been here for a very long time and they are the people that hand it down and make sure that everybody's doing the right thing. Yeah. So it's great. They're, you have, very you have a bunch of rock stars We're and that's lucky. not a coincidence. And you yeah. have people who have, and when you stop and think about when people stay for more, more than 20 years, they stay, that, that becomes your life. Absolutely. And that's because they, they, they're on a mission and they're on a mission with you and you set the pace. And so it does all trickle down. They're that very, speaks volumes. They're, well, they're better people than I am. They're very dedicated and they're very loyal to, to me and to the company and to the children. And today I got an email from one of our supervisors in Arizona and it's just like, it really brought me to tears. You know, this is a, a um, very, very good supervisor and she's she does so she works so hard like her she's one of those people that does close to 180 hours a month you know it's crazy she really works very hard and she says she writes in her email that there's a family who lost insurance now because of the state laws and they used to be one of our families who was on a grant with us mm -hmm. and she's saying you know I don't know if act today can help them mm -hmm. if anybody can help them but can I give a portion of my bonus to them Aww. which I was like oh my god like that just wonderful. gave me goosebumps yeah what a wonderful yeah. wonderful woman incredible all right I want to continue on with some questions because we have so many hi Dr. Please. Doreen and Shannon my son um, has been scripting ABCs and songs throughout the day he has high quality ABA with a smiley face so supervisor said to tell him quiet mouth so when we say that to him he just lowers his voice is there another Another way to approach scripting and they said thank you that's such a um, that's so funny quiet mouth is something we used to say a hundred years ago like literally 30 years ago at UCLA it's so funny that I hear those things now yeah there's a lot of things you can do for scripting I, I this is fun it's an interesting time for this question I let me answer this question as I would um, you know, any time prior to two days ago, and okay. then I will answer it because the different way because I just learned something uh, literally on Monday. Okay. Okay. So typically, what I say for any behavior, obviously, is you try to identify why the child is doing it, and I would say that uh, generally speaking, people consider scripting as a self-stimulatory behavior, and I've always said most of the self-stimulatory types of behaviors are anxiety-related. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, something is causing the child to experience anxiety, which is why they start to kind of repeat and do rote behaviors. Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially, you want to try to make the child a little bit more uh, comfortable, less anxious. Watch that. I mean, this does kind of go with what I learned on Monday as well, but I'll come back to that. You know, kind of make, see what environments evoke that behavior, the behavior of scripting. Um, secondly, try to reduce the things that might be increasing the scripting, like for instance, repetitive watching of the same TV shows or uh, I don't know, any anything that the child is repetitively watching where they're learning to model like some of my kids for instance will watch a, a tv show or, or a video or something and they'll keep rewinding at the same place that kind of behavior is just exacerbating the scripting behavior it's sort of very repetitive and makes the child hype up in their repetitiveness 
so that's one thing the other thing is yes you need to replace it you can't just say quiet mouth I would replace it with something I would for instance uh, and again this is I can't give you specific uh, directions on this clearly you have an ABA provider who's using the term quiet mouth but really you should be replacing it at this point if your child is verbal you should uh, revert to and try to get the child to vocalize because obviously you can't vocally script if you're having a conversation mm -hmm. um, if your child's not at the level of having a conversation or answering questions then you might want to have the child do something else like I don't know say the alphabet or something sing the alphabet something that would be contrary to scripting did the parents say something about what they are the and child scripting. He's actually scripting the ABCs. The Funny okay. you should say that. And doing other songs. Um, that that's what he's so doing. So really, all you want to do is okay. I got it. So you not. So you just want the child to not do the because it's not. That's not really script. Scripting is usually stuff that's not. Uh, it's you know jargon or or stuff that doesn't make any sense. So the child is doing what a lot of kids do, which is sing the alphabet, mm -hmm. just not at the right time. Okay. They're doing it at different times, right? And the parent doesn't want the child to repeat those types of things. So and that's why they've been trying to say quiet mouth. There's a lot of things depending on how the child's function. Like if your child can read. Uh, then you really just need to teach them what quiet is and just flash a card that says quiet. Quiet is not, um, you know, or just stop. Right. You, you flash the word stop. Um, uh, here's something very effective. If the child knows that there's a time frame coming up during which time they can sing the alphabet and do all this type of behavior, then they're more likely to be able to control themselves now and, and wait. Um, how do they learn to wait? You have to shape that. So you would have to, for instance, have, let's say, um, a billion ways you can shape it. You could use a timer so the child knows when the timer goes off. Right. You're allowed to read, sing the alphabet. Uh, you could have a little visual schedule that says right now we're doing this and then you'll have a break during your break you can script the alphabet um, you can all kinds of waiting there are, there are apps on things. your phone that can have a clock with a picture of what they absolutely, get to do absolutely. when the clock goes off right so all you are trying to do is not eliminate this behavior let's get that right you're trying to shape it so that the behavior occurs in very initially in several but limited time frames okay. and later in very narrow maybe once a day or twice a day time frames right that's the key to it yeah you because the actual thing it. there's nothing wrong with the actual behavior exactly. it's just doing it at the appropriate time right okay and that's very important that it's there are certain behaviors we do that are not necessarily you know they're considered inappropriate only because they occur in social settings um, and they're fine if you do them alone, right? Like for instance, I don't know, plucking your eyebrows. I mean, you're not going to sit at a restaurant and do that with your friends, right? But you do it at a certain time and that therefore it's okay. So with our kids, their behaviors might be odd and might be difficult to manage. If you try to cut them off, something else will replace it. It's important to give the child, I think, a period of like an out, like a time frame 
where they are allowed to do those things and if possible to make it something that fits the norm that is already something that fits the norm so like for instance if it was a child that was just throwing out alphabets in the non-meaningful way then I would actually turn it to the alphabet song and then I would allow the child to sing the song maybe you know a certain time frame of the day because it allows the child to divert so now I'll quickly go back to what I learned on Monday I can't I think wait it's important <laughs> I'm so excited to hear what you learned. So it's this whole—it's this whole concept of why do the kids do these, <clears throat> excuse me, these rote repetitive behaviors, and that's been a lifelong thing for me. And one of my kids, you know, and I've always said it's anxiety, it's anxiety. So one of my kids, uh, who I was just telling you, is recovering, and I'm so excited because. I did kind of promise the parents that he would about three and a half years ago, and I feel like, yes, I got it. It's you delivered. Happen. Thank you, Marina, our our fantastic supervisor from Torrance, who runs the Torrance office, actually. She's a regional um, uh, supervisor now. But anyway, um, this little guy is fabulous and his scripting behavior was writing letters in the alpha in the, in, in the air okay right writing numbers he was very very obsessed with numbers and he was constantly like and also saying them he was he would count everything everything like uh, count up and going uh, his footsteps okay stairs like anything he could count he would count out loud and this was a very difficult behavior for a long time. Now, I wasn't aware, because I hadn't seen him for about a year, because I only get to see him once a year or so, that he's come to this level of functioning. He's now really fabulous. All his testing is normal. He's doing so great. And he told his mom that he does that, or he used to do that, when he was overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that he's used that word, overwhelmed. What a perfect fabulous way yeah. to describe sensory overload yeah so it suddenly occurred to me there's not just you know I of course it's funny how we always like I try very hard to step into my kids beings and experience yeah. the world but I'm still projecting myself onto it which is why I was like they probably feel anxious they just feel really really overwhelmed you know very 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 overwhelmed and it's not just anxiety it's just like they're completely overloaded with yeah. sensory input and so they do these some of these things because it's um it's like putting a putting your head in a dark place yeah. you know it's like he's he's like uh, one, two, three, five, like he's trying it's to do, he's distracting himself from the overwhelming sensory input. So with him, some of the things that, ha that like the supervisors did, which is fabulous, uh, is that they gave him a, a period of time during the day at school that he's allowed to do it. So they said, you know, like, you can't do it in class. You can't do any of these things in class. You could do it, like, at recess, the last 10 minutes of recess when you're in the bathroom or something like that. And so kind of uh, get it out. Instead of, like, saying, you are not allowed to do this. Right. They gave right. him a period of time to divert it to. It basically doesn't happen. I mean, I didn't see it for a two-hour clinic at all. And it's, the data on it shows that it's not happening. Wow. But just to be able to, you know, inc like turn it into a very useful and positive skill, uh, just like our little other friend who took hand flapping and turned it into uh, drumming, drumming uh, I suggested that they teach him Sudoku. Sudoku, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. Which is all numbers, yeah, right? Yeah, the little and puzzles. That, yeah, and he's like completely in love with that sort of thing. Uh. And so now he has a 
number activity, which is actually social and completely fine to do at any, you know, like right. when he's sitting somewhere and it doesn't look appear in any way unusual. But it's soothing to him. Uh, it's extremely soothing, just like everything else. Like, yeah, why like do some people us. do the crossword puzzle every morning? Truly. I, I mean, for me, that is my soothing period in the morning, is when I get up, I make my coffee, and the first thing I do is start going through emails. Yeah. And it's not like I have to do it because I have, the, I mean, I do have to do it because I get several <laughs> hundred a day. But it's, it is a period of time that kind of opens my day. Yeah. And that's, that's all it is for our kids, too. Sometimes you have to look at some of their self-symmetry stuff as that. Yes. They're, they're, it's a routine that gives them a sense of, you know, comfort and, and uh, I don't know, they feel safe with it. And it's functional now. It's you just have to make it functional, yeah, right? Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Remarkable. It was a cool thing to realize that, you know, like the, the one that he said, I only do that when I get overwhelmed. And I was like, God, we got to remember that. Yeah, so absolutely. Good. Remarkable. I think we should take a quick break and then we'll come back with more of your questions. Stick with us. Hello, activists. I've been sharing with you my 10 steps of empowerment for parents of children with autism. Now I'd like to share with you something that I read when my spirits get down from time to time. It's called Anyway. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. When you spend years building, it may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you've got and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you've got anyway. That's not from some self-help guru. That's from a sign hanging on the wall of the children's home in Calcutta where Mother Teresa ministered to the poorest of the poor. I'd like to say that the world of autism can be a very challenging and daunting one. But do the best you can to live in it and love in it to the fullest. Live it anyway. Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampache, learning so much, so thrilled to have her here as a resource for all of us. You can keep your questions coming in on the live feature. Uh, and we, we had one that just came in. Hi, Dr. Doreen. My child, age six, very high functioning, has avoidance escape behavior with the screaming big time, big time screaming. She recently had a new therapist, which allowed her to escape. Now when we block the escape, she knows to scream. If she's very loud, these throw us back to screaming for every single thing, even for a routine that was mastered, such as uh, best time or nighttime. I think bedtime is what it's supposed to say. How can we work the ground base for this? What do we follow? What should we set and how, uh, 
how call how many seconds do we wait after demand is placed please help us in any way your advice will be extremely appreciated thank you so much so um this is very easy okay let her scream okay period ignore her okay just let her scream especially when you block her from escape that should be the first one it's the easiest one you block her from escape she starts screaming just keep blocking her from escape it's that simple. She's not able to. She could scream for 40 minutes as long as you have good earplugs. Okay. Put them in and let her scream. Because she will wear herself out. And everyone needs to let her scream. That's it. This is extinction. This is escape extinction. That is the procedure. It's escape extinction. Okay. So you do not allow her to escape. And if you were to do anything during the time that she's screaming, you would be attending to the screaming and you don't want to attend to the screaming. Now, if it's, if it's a situation where you have told her to do something, see, escape is different, right? Escape is she's trying to get out of the situation, you're blocking her. Right. If you've given her an instruction and she's now screaming because she doesn't want to follow your instruction, just, it, just pretend the screaming is not occurring and start to motor her through the thing she's supposed to do. Physically motor her gently through the thing that she's supposed to do. Try not to give her any expressive requests so that if you give a demand and she then starts screaming instead of answering you. Okay, so don't give her any demands right now that require her to give you a vocal answer. Because you won't be successful. Yeah. She'll be screaming and you can't, and you can't force her to, right, okay. But I want to go back to one thing that you said is that have no reaction to it. Have no reaction. So that means like, you know, you really, I, it's so hard as a parent. You have to not flinch when she's screaming in your ear. Yeah, you have to although, not jump back. Right, and that's if that's if she's trying to be, if, if her purpose is attention seeking. Mm -hmm. I think in this case, her purpose is simply escape. Okay. And so, like, you know, it could be bothering you, but as long as you don't let her escape, okay. that's the key to it. All right. And since we're not 100% sure and she might be getting a kick out of the attention as well, like disturbing you, then the, if you can avoid showing any facial response, like you were saying, that would be important. Okay. It's hard. It's, it's very, very hard. hard. Be prepared. Have the other therapist with you. If everyone hits it together, and also, please, like, let me just reiterate, you want to get through it faster, place more receptive demands on her. Double up the demands. Okay. Because she'll get more um, uh, practice. Okay, so when so for people who aren't as up on the jargon, the difference between so a receptive and an, an expressive, expressive demand. Is, so, like, you're asking her to do something that does not require a verbal response. Okay, so if you say, come here, yeah, come here that's a receptive bring me the book. demand. Something that you could physically motor her through if she didn't do it. Okay, but saying, say, Apple, that's an expressive demand. Yeah, because you would then, rec she would have to respond with Apple, and if she screams, there's nothing right. you can do you with can, it. But I love, you got that in two seconds. Well, I've spent a, a lot a, of time trying to... Well, I, I, when yeah. I was in the thick of it, I would have needed a book and a, and a tutor <laughs> and a lot of help, right? But I've been sitting here long enough that I'm, I'm much better at all of it. Right. So 
so okay but really important um that this is this is an easier one you said to get under control it is it's, it's very easy it's it's tough in terms of like it'll you know hurt your eardrums but, it can but that's an easy one so what i'm saying is if everyone's consistent and if you increase the demands then you'll get through it faster okay uh want to do a quick recap with a parent who wrote in about potty training um i think it was either last week or the week before last week uh hi shannon and dr i wrote in last week in regards to my son he's three years and four months old he has been being potty trained for five months now we take him every hour and a half and we provide him a treat every time he's successful he still doesn't mandate um for the potty this is the one that wa they wanted to know last week why isn't he manding for the potty this weekend he, we, he was having dinner and i told him we're going potty when we finish dinner when i got him up he peed on himself he didn't seem to be bothered also he pooped and he just stood there it concerns me that he doesn't mand for the potty or be bothered by it on himself he has 40 hours of aba through card and i swear i follow through also before i give him a bath i always put him on the potty and as i'm undressing him he says all done potty but i put him on the potty and he goes i'm confused please help okay i so in that particular scenario so you never really want to mention the word potty unless you're going to do it right then okay so we'll go after you finish eating is not gonna work that's confusing it's just not gonna work because you might be give he, his stimulus is potty and it's just it's so it's this is really quite simple this is all you need to do and i apologize by saying it that way i don't mean it to i don't mean to be in any way like demeaning by saying it that way but it is simple and i don't want you to get frustrated with it this is all you do i don't know what his current schedule is reduce it get it to the point where he never has accidents right and that's the so like let's say it's 25 minutes right now every 25 it's minutes ac she said actually said an hour and a half now that jumped out at me because for a three-year-old that long. seems too long to yeah. me. so go back to i don't know an hour and 20 minutes i mean hour and 20 is even long for a three-year-old to be honest i think they should be probably going every hour i i, I gotta or, say that what i recall and i could be completely wrong but that we were going every 25 minutes when oh well when three. you right well that's only when you're in training okay yeah All so right. forgive me if you've already gotten to the point of an hour and a half then that means he's almost done like he's he's learned to hold it he's okay. just not learning to man to tell okay. people so again remember what i had said last week was first please let's get it on a schedule where there are no accidents okay okay so that could be going all the way back to an hour it could be going back to an hour and 15 i don't know what that is your supervisor makes that decision if you're with card i'm not giving you direct advice because <laughs> if i do i am overriding a, a good supervisor who actually is there and seeing what's happening that correct. that person's giving child specific correct. advice so correct. we want to be clear about that and i and let me just say i'm i would be delighted to consult with your supervisor so if and if, i don't want my supervisors to be egotistical about things so if you would like to let your supervisor know because i don't know where you are or who your supervisor is just tell your supervisor you brought it up at autism live and i suggested that they should email me yeah. and that's that and then the minute they email me i'll know exactly what's going on and i'll tell them but essentially you reduce the schedule and you get it to a point where there are no accidents this is very very important before you start trying to get to the point of mending you have to get on a clean schedule okay so now you're on a clean schedule when he goes he goes 
And when he's with, when he's not in the party, when he's not in the bathroom, he's not actually avoiding. He's not having accidents. Then remember, I think what we talked about last week is you should, if you can read, you use a visual cue. Mm -hmm. You start to fade your cue. Right now, it's like potty or whatever it is. I mean, if he's not reading, assume he's reading, and you start giving him a visual cue, and then you gradually will uh, get rid of that cue. If he is, uh, if he's not reading, then you can still also reduce your sentence. You know, your sentence right now is when you're done eating, we're going to go to the potty. It's way too long. You should just have potty as your initial, as your cue, and then you can start fading that to pot, pot, and then right. it's gone. So you will verbally, um, you know, reduce your vocalization by shaping it away. And so, and then at that point, if it's still, if he's still not able to uh, recognize his body cues, then, you know, write back and we'll figure out a way to, like, maybe have a, a vibrating watch or something that gets him to the point where he starts to recognize on an hour or hourly basis that he needs to go. I mean, I should also say, obviously, uh, you should be making sure that he's getting enough liquids. You know, you said something about he doesn't go. I, if you have a three-year-old and they're not going, actually, if they're not urinating approximately every hour and a half, Maybe they're not drinking enough water. Look at the color of the urine. It should be pretty clear. I mean, if you ha if it's yellow, he's not hydrated enough. Okay. You know, so those are certain things that you should be watching. But don't try to get him manding until you have the schedule correct. Okay. All right, great. I want to go on to this one about uh, feeding. My five-year-old son with autism used to eat whatever my husband and I were eating for dinner. And now he says, I don't like it to everything. I end up making him chicken nuggets or something else so he will eat. This started in December when we moved and switched schools. Is that the reason? He's also rigid about what he brings for lunch and what he eats for breakfast. He loves fruit and veggies, so that isn't a problem. I would like more variety in his diet and thank you oh uh, did, did the parents say what age five five I don't and I don't know the awareness level I mean it could possibly be that he's aware of what other kids are eating now and he would like to try some of those things I mean I know I, my kids learned about lunchables from school you know I never mm -hmm. knew about them and they told me about lunchables so obviously it's possible that he is now preferring some of the things he sees in schools and unfortunately that's not necessarily healthy things you know right, right. so um, but regardless I would say you know pick your battles here the the issue is that he, you need to have um, as long as he's eating his fruits his vegetables his proteins uh, it's a you know healthy uh, diet I suppose uh, I wouldn't worry too much about it being varied we all have our preferences um, I, I know that it's understandable and it, it, it's entirely up to you. This is a family decision. If you would like to teach him that he has to eat what you and, uh, and what the adults are eating, then obviously you can shape that and then you wouldn't give in to him. In other words, if he doesn't want to eat, you don't give him another choice. Mm -hmm. That's important. And trust me, nobody will... Um, starve themselves so he won't either he will not stop eating so what will happen is he will just complain 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 and then eventually he'll realize these are my only choices yeah. 
I wouldn't necessarily do that. My pre preference would be to compromise. I would say these are, you know, hey, he's still open to these things. I'm going to be making sure that he eats these things. He's a kid. Kids don't like to eat green beans. You know, they, they prefer carrots. Yeah. So that's perfectly fine. Most kids are like that. 99% of kids will not like fish. Yeah. You know, so there's certain things that he's a child and you have to allow him to be that way to some extent. Now, feeding, just the key to feeding is it's sort of on a, you, you allow the child to have you you basically teach the child to have, uh, I mean, this is just a, a short hint that might help you across the board. Um, for every, let's say, you know, five bites of something you don't like, you can have something you like. And that's, that's the answer, essentially. And, in, you know, you start with have a tiny bit of whatever it is he doesn't want, and then you can have your stuff, all of, all the rest of your plate have two bites of what you don't like, and you can have a plate of your stuff, have three bites, then you can have that, and then gradually reduce the one he likes and increase the one you want him to have, and that's the whole process. Okay, and, and I would just add too that there's more than one different kind of chicken nugget, and some of them are healthier than others. If oh, you're gonna, for sure. If you're gonna give sure. chicken nuggets, just try to ramp it up and give the most healthy ones. There are some that are incredibly healthy. Yeah, absolutely, there's uh, uh, and then there's know, others that aren't. Them that are very so, good. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, continuing on, my, my son is almost four and has started just literally copying kids' moves and speech. What should I do to help him socialize more appropriately? He's at a specialized school, and I've seen them tell him to look at this kid and do it like him during music and movement, so that could be <laughs> contributing. But he just seems robotic lately and not like himself. And he's repeating the kid's speeches she, and actions. Um, she he's, goes on to say. he's doing exactly what they've told him to do. Right. That's what you expect, you know? Yeah. And yes, especially in music and movement, if they're telling to imitate kids, see, that's what he's doing. He's imitating yeah. kids. This is. And if he's. And they have given I, us I their personal the, email. So, okay, good. Um, well, I mean, I just don't. I'm. I don't know that he should be in the special ed environment if he's a child that imitates so well. I'm not even sure he should be in a special education environment. He might benefit from having good models. He might benefit from. Is he receiving any one-to-one? -one? This sounds like a child that would learn a lot. Yeah. Who would learn a lot? So maybe it's, it's a good skill to be able to learn through uh, observation. It's right. one of the skills that we teach. Right. But you know, if it if that's all the child is doing, then that's well, I mean, a concern. You know, and to help you. I guess it's, it goes back to the other answer, the other question as well, which is sort of he's doing a behavior that they've told him to do. He's just doing it outside of the time frame that he's supposed to do it or the environment that he's supposed to do it. So I would say uh, somehow the school has to kind of signal to him that you only imitate others during this time frame in this class, which okay. is the music and movement. So perhaps when he imitates it, otherwise, you, uh, depending on his level of understanding, yeah. again, not now, and take him to the class, and there he can imitate. And he'll begin yeah. to understand that I only should imitate during this class. And uh, quality ABA. Uh, I mean, they're talking ABA. about they're talking about having um, this specialized school, but there's no mention of whether there's quality ABA at home. But quality ABA at home would be almost four year old. This would be an ideal child to be having that. Oh, almost four year old. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So um, I really want to encourage you, if you're not already quality ABA at home intensive right. program, right. You're, you're in that window of where that's essential. Okay, I'm going to continue on because uh, we always get towards the end and I get pressured about, I want to answer as many, mm -hmm. have you answer as many questions as possible. Okay, uh, we had somebody who wrote in um, and said that they agreed with me last week about a teacher who uh, laughed at her child trapped in the chair. Thank you for sticking with me on that. She shouldn't be teaching. Uh, I have a question about my three and a half year old child that is finally making sounds that approximate words while combining with sign language. Mm -hmm. He is language delayed, has some echolalia and articulation problems. However, every time he tries to sound the word, he stretches the sound very long right before the finish of the word. For example, if you ask for a cookie, he would say, can have cookie. She's spelling it out with uh, many, many um, vowels. vowels yeah. And she says, I know it sounds a bit silly writing it like this, but it's the only way I can explain it. The sound of the words becomes very long, almost like he struggles making the sound. Is that normal? No. He does this every time, and I will and will do it over and over. Also, is it normal that if I ask him to to make the sound, for example, the letter P, he can, but he is unable to say a word that has the letter P? Thank you again so much. Yeah, those the, the second issue is pretty. I mean, it's all fine. It's all, he's learning, and it's it's fine. But you, here's let me answer that. You need to teach him the difference between a stretched vowel and a, and a short vowel. Like you need to stop it now. So you should be teaching him the difference between cookie and cookie. Like you right. do need to make that differentiation occur. I assume he's in speech therapy. And so the speech therapist should be the one instead of I would have I would have controlled this thing before it even went to I mean he's speaking in sentences can I have cookie or right. can have cookie that's right. three word phrase uh, I would have fixed the vowel issue when it was, when he was at a one word utterance so I would fix this right now um, work on that make yeah. sure the speech therapist works on reducing the the sound the drawing out of the okay. vowel. The other issue with yes, he can say, well, they should. That's what they should be working on. See, with every sound that we learn, we first want to make sure that we can produce the sound, like, p and then we want to make sure we can imitate it. So someone says, p and then you do, p mm -hmm. and then we want to make sure that we can use it in all positions. So beginning position, middle position, and end position. So, you know, it's very, very different experience to say. Uh, like you know, please. Right. Which also, by the way, is completely different because it comes before a consonant, so that's right. a different thing as well. But like, pet versus nap, those are very, very different experiences. So, you do need to make sure that the child learns the sound in all positions of different words. This is what speech therapists will do, and ABA people who are trained well can do this as well. We've been doing this for years, but you should get help on. It's very important, and congratulations that your child is actually producing these sounds because if you're at that level, he's going to speak. Yes. So um, you have there's no point there's no uh, question that he's going to be verbal, and that's uh, wonderful. Just you just need to shape it. Okay, very good. And then we had an, another question about uh, prosody. Hi, what are the best speech therapy activities for prosody? Can I expect my school speech therapist to provide services for this as well as pragmatic speech? 
I don't know. It varies. There are some speech therapists that are very good. There are some speech therapists that really shouldn't be there, um, like anything else. Same as our field, same as any field. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't... It's rare to have a speech pathologist who is very, very good at pragmatics and very, very good at prosody. Yeah, it's asking but pra a lot. But prosody is extremely important. I would suggest... We actually have a whole section on prosody and skills. Yes. So there's a lot of ideas there, and I would suggest that you get your little um, free sampling of skills mm -hmm. uh, on skillsforautism.com and use the, the free period to just go in and look at the uh, prosody And lesson. for people who don't know what prosody is, can you oh, give us a sure. quick... Sure, it's basically the sound of language. Mm -hmm. It's how language changes. Like if I say... Um, what is that? There's a there's a very funny saying, which is the um, it's very different. They use it for grammar, but it's also yeah. prosody, obviously. Which is if you say, uh, "Let's eat, grandma," versus <laughs> "Let's eat, grandma." Right. Right. So just that very tiny change in how I said, "Let's eat." Grandma, right. that is prosody. That, I was and thinking that of Ben Stein. Yeah. Do you remember Ben Stein, who was in that show Ferris Bueller, and he would say uh -huh. Bueller. Bueller. Yeah, and there's yeah. no. It's just all monotone. Uh, he's like the king of of, of doing that kind of speech. Right. It can it can be for comic effect, but for our kids, it it prevents them from being understood a lot oh, of yeah. times when they're saying things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And and it's I think it's it's critical on in the very early stages to to work on prosody. Okay, now we have a new feature on the show where as often as possible, we're asking our experts to answer a question in a very short period of time because we have a new segment on the YouTube channel that's the top 100 most asked questions okay. about autism, and we're trying to keep them under two minutes. So, uh, and I hadn't I hadn't pre-warned Dr. Gramsci that I was going to do this, but we had a question Let's that came it. in on the live feature that was uh, one of the questions that I wanted to ask. So the sure. question is, is ABA appropriate for nonverbal children? with autism yes How's okay that? that's so, the fastest I'm, answer <laughs> okay um because aba is mostly done with nonverbal children when i when i start with any child the majority of my kids start out being nonverbal okay and even if they are nonverbal at age eight or ten it mm -hmm. doesn't make any difference there's a billion we do everything we can't you can change the entire aba program to a visual program mm -hmm. the instructions can be given visually the response can be received visually so the whole thing can be visual for non for children who are nonverbal okay so if you have a child who's nonverbal you absolutely should be doing ABA must 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 do ABA okay thank you for answering sure. that question uh, okay and then in addition to that uh, somebody wants to know is it for every child yes I mean I'll say I'll be very I'll just very honestly it's for yeah. every child it is for every child it's for every normal child too yeah. it's for every person because ABA is not it's not a I don't know how to explain this. It's 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 how we function. Um, you know, I have three typically developing children. Okay, and let me tell you, their entire lives, I did ABA. You do ABA all the time without being aware of the fact that you do ABA. Yeah. Uh, we a parent writes in, we respond to their uh, email. 
um, and then they are very happy and therefore they become our uh, continued viewer. What is that? That's ABA. So the parent writes in, that's the behavior. We respond to it, that's the reinforcer, and then we maintain their behavior. We teach them to become a viewer. That's ABA. Everything you do is ABA. You, the phone rings, you pick it up, and you talk to someone. That's ABA. The phone ringing is your, is your SD, it's your discriminative stimulus. That's why you pick it up. You don't just pick up the phone randomly. You only pick it up when it rings. Every aspect of behavior is explained by some antecedent in the environment that provoked it and some consequence that maintained it yeah. and that's all we're saying that's all we're saying and so when you apply ABA to kids in general not just kids with autism but in general all you're doing is you're simplifying how you teach them and that's why it works I mean in fact we, as I mentioned to you last week we just finished our book um, which is going to be um, and you asked me, I think, the title. Uh, the title of our book is uh, Evidence-Based Interventions for Children with Autism, the CARD mm -hmm. Model. Okay. And that is hopefully going to be out in six months or so. It's being published by Elsevier. But now what we're going to do is we're going to uh, write a book for just parenting. Lovely. Because it's all ABA. Parenting is. is ABA. So, yeah, it's for that everyone. That was the first thing I heard. This is the best parent training you'll ever get in your life. And Absolutely. I went, okay, I'll sign up for that. I want to squeeze one quick question in. Sure. Hello, my daughter likes to take a bite of her dinner and then run around the house. How do I keep her in her chair? Yes. So, um, two ways you could do this. A hard way is sit behind her and hold her until she finishes. Okay. And second way is... Uh, hold her until she takes two bites okay. and then let her go. The next day hold her until she takes three um, and then I would probably actually first no let me back up so right now she takes one bite what you're gonna do is you're gonna sit behind her and you're going to prevent her from running around until she takes two bites okay then I want you to stay at two bites but start removing your own restraint Okay. So I don't want you to actually have to restrain her. I want her to learn that if she takes two bites, she can go run around. Okay. And then I want her to learn gradually, the next day, week, whatever, that she needs three bites, and then she can go run around, then four. And this process will take a little while. Um, you could also increase it by saying this section of your plate. You could also increase it by, you could actually, another really clever way to do it is put less, put just one bite on her plate. Okay. Okay, and then make it two and make it three and make it four and that's it. So that way she'll be clearing her plate. Okay. So, um, and that's it. Just Slowly. let her, I would shape it. It's easy to okay. do, it just as frustrating for us as parents. Patience and alternatively, alternatively, you seriously could just tell her not to, she can't leave. I had this with my son when he was very little. He wouldn't eat. He just would not eat. And I wouldn't, and then he would like, uh, you know, uh, his dad, my ex, would tell him to go to his room if he wasn't going to eat. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't really an effective intervention. So I would take his bowl of food and go to his room and force him to eat it. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to, and then, and of course, now he eats 
very well. <laughs> That's a good thing. So, you know, you can't, it's just that the child has to learn what the rules are now, yeah. and that's life. Okay, but I think it's a patient's bone. We need to, like, have really have something that we can purchase that's a patient's bone that we can have implemented. That's, isn't that parenting? Like, <laughs> it is parenting. It? Yeah. We all need it, a patient's bone. Yeah. Um, it takes a while, but it, you can make progress on it. Thank you so much Thank for everything much. here Always today. I just, I, I so Hopefully enjoy it when you're here. Absolutely. I, and we hear back from them all the time. I try That's to send, I, I'm so, trying to send you more and more when you hear back. Thank you. Uh, and when you guys do write back and say, tell Dr. Grandpa Shay, I'm trying to forward more and more of those to her. So feel free to do that. We're going to take a break and go to the A word. This is the ongoing documentary being made here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders following a little boy, Jack Riley, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. Check out how Jack is learning how to stop and go on demand. It's really challenging for a little boy who wants to run and escape, but take a look. And then when we come back, we'll be here with Nancy Osbaugh Jackson for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Here's the A word. lot more on his own even just when I attempt him by just holding an object not necessarily asking him to imitate more he, cat, that's right he does do it on his own now which is really cool good asking buddy Oh, there you go. See? 
How many, how many up do you want to go? You touch the block? Block. God, what is it? Block. Good job. Sorry, I'm just curious. Okay. Cool. I'm interested too. Um, touch shoes. Who's the yeah. shoes? Touch crab. crab. Where's the crab? Can you touch it with your finger though? Thank you. Did you see that? What is it? Crab. See crab. That was so funny. I didn't specify, huh? Touch block. Good job. What is it? What is this? Block. This is his receptive labels. So what I just did basically. And um, our supervisor had written down things that's in his environment that he might not know or that he might know the labels to or if he's just seen it or heard um, the label for it, not necessarily know how to say it per se. And um, I, I just went through block, guitar, bear, um, plane, cat with him. And so he actually knows all of them. So I'm actually gonna go through his environment just to see other things like shoes. He actually knew almost everything on here except Fork, I think. Yeah. So that's actually really impressive. You amaze me every day, kiddo. We're taking a walk. We just finished dinner. Getting ready to go to bed. But part of our after dinner tradition suddenly has been to take a walk. Make sure. Say, come on, mama. Come on, mama. Right, Jack? And then we say, stop. Go, 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 go. Stop. Go, go, go. So we're practicing our stops and goes. Stop. Go, go. Good stopping. Go. Good stopping, Jack. Stop. Good stopping. Good job, love. Look at me. Say bye-bye. Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspaw Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod. So hey thrilled friend. to be here with you. We always do a color thing. I don't know, black <laughs> and a, blue. We have a Vulcan yeah. Vulcan mind yeah. meld going yeah. on. Uh, now, I, I have to call you, but I, I love this shirt. Okay, Speak Life, if everybody can see this. Now, let me tell you a little story behind this, and that is that there's an artist named Toby Mack. He's a very well-known artist. He is what they call Christian or positive hits music. I went to his concert at the Forum on Saturday night, and he, first of all, he's so powerful and so such an incredible performer. But before he sang this song, his latest hit called Speak Life, he said to the audience, I used to think in life there were just exchanges and communications you had with people. Mm -hmm. And I used to think, well, you know, there are neutral exchanges. You know, sometimes you're just neutral. Mm -hmm. And he said that one of his favorite authors, a man named Brendan Manning, mm -hmm. made him realize by writing, there are no neutral exchanges. Everything from our mouth either gives life or drains it.
and he went on to sing this song, Speak Life, in the deadest dark of night, mm. you know, speak hope, speak life, speak love, speak life. And it, it was just so powerful that I thought, I have to wear the shirt. I bought the shirt. And I thought it really applies so much uh, to working with our children. So many of us tend to think, my husband said the other night, I get so tired of saying, don't do that, stop this, stop that, you know, setting the boundaries with our ABA. Mm -hmm. And I reminded him, I said, ABA is not just about extinguishing negative behaviors. It's about reinforcing positive behaviors. Yeah. So one day you said to me, Shannon, that when you found you were increasingly frustrated, that what you realized you needed to do was focus more on the positives and the reinforcements and less on the negatives. Yeah. And I think just if you think this term, speak life, and the next time you're working with your child, rather than saying the don't do that or quit that, that's great, the good behavior. You're so good at that. I love the way you look at my eyes. I love the way you talk to me. I love the way you use that sentence. And you'll start to see the effects of that. Yeah. Every, every interaction either gives life or drains it. We used to have a thing in our bathroom that hung on the bathroom mirror. It was, it was just a piece of paper that I had written text on and it said, reward the good behavior and ignore the bad behavior. Yes. And uh, because I needed to see it on the mirror yeah, you do. every day and every time I went in the bathroom to be reminded because, I, and, I, and I, it's not on the mirror now and I need to put it back there because it, it applies and it applies to everything, not just our kids with, yeah. with autism. And I have to say too, just here at the start of the show, we have been receiving some devastating news that uh, there is a friend to our program and a friend to the community here in autism, uh, Jess Block Niren, is just an amazing, amazing woman and so involved. She's uh, a PR person yes. and owns her own PR agency and is so involved in the autism mm -hmm. community and has a child who is on the spectrum. Right. And um, he, she has been posting regularly for us to give us updates, but um, her son is, is quite ill and going through quite a bit of testing. And, and he already has autism. He already said. has autism, seven years old, and it appears that they are going to have to go through some other intensive treatments for uh, what, it, what it's looking like that it will be. So we just want to put our thoughts and our prayers out our there prayers for this to family. The family and surround and them with your good, good thoughts, thoughts. Your good vibes. Once again, speak life. Yes. Give, give positive energy uh, to Jess Block and her family. Yes. And I got to say that, you know, it really puts stuff in, I was going to say crap in perspective yeah. because it really does. Yeah. If you think you're having a, a really rotten yeah. day and you go, okay, I'm not having to do that. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, think positive thoughts for them, but also take a second to say, gee, I'm not doing that today. There are worse things going on. Yeah. And, you know, I might have my challenges today, but you know what they always say about if everybody put all their troubles into a hat and passed them around, mm -hmm. everybody would take their troubles back. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Rather than have somebody yeah. else's. Yeah. So okay. uh, I know that Jess would, would want us all to find some gratitude in our day today. Yeah. And so we'll do that for okay. Jess. And, and our the, good the thoughts are with family will be them. in our thoughts and prayers. Yes. All right. We have a couple of stories for In the News that we'd like to share um, yes. before we uh, get on with our guest, Vince Redman, who we have a very important topic today about siblings. Absolutely. And uh, siblings of children with autism, which is, uh, I think, uh, such an important topic 
that the siblings often get left behind and, and we're going to explore some ways to give them positive reinforcement. Yes. So um, a big study that came out last week was that older fathers may face higher risk than previously thought for having children with many uh, issues, yeah. including psychiatric problems, bipolar disorder, autism, attention deficit. And this is the largest study to date. Uh, it was done with American and Swedish researchers. They examined data from more than 2.6 million Swedes from 1973 to 2001. And I love this as far as aging fathers. Men who father kids after age 24, I consider that incredibly young, but yeah. uh, faced increasing odds for having children with psychiatric problems, with the greatest risk seen at age 45 and older. Now, interesting that uh, so many studies, I think, in the last couple of years have focused on the mother. Yeah. You know, mother smoking, mother, you know, not having enough folic acid, mother not doing this, not doing mother that. Mother having autoimmune issues. Yes, yes. yes. All these so, things. Mother um, being overweight. Yeah. So here's Thank one you. that says, you know, the fathers, <laughs> they're looking at that too. And um, they're also cautioning that there's no reason to ring the alarm bells that older men shouldn't have kids because, um, it, you know, in, in terms of the risk, it is still relatively small. And also they're saying that um, this will take a while before the, this research can actually, you know, come down to where we can see it possibly uh, manifested in medication or some way of... Um, I guess I'm looking for the word, um, negating these risks. Right. So, um, because I they think, really haven't narrowed down what it is about the age difference, whether no. it's a mutated gene or not. They and they're have saying not. that we're, we'll continue to work on that. But it, but it is significant that, you know, there are more than one study in a study of this size. Yeah. Uh, that Dr. Christopher Pittenger, a Yale University expert in psychiatric disorders, called the results convincing. Yeah. So, um, so you know, there, there we have it. Uh, not a, an incredible amount of use to us except that if you are a family with an older dad who is fathering children, be a little bit more yeah. aware and make sure that your children are screened. That's yes, the only takeaway exactly. that we have at this yeah. moment in time that's helpful to us. And, and um, this is in a different order in our packet, but uh, there's another study, Fragile X and Autism, and this one is very significant. Uh, this study um, has identified a mechanism that causes the largest genetic cause of autism, um, which is uh, the gene silencing mechanism that causes Central X syndrome. So they have identified it. Uh, they also describe reversing the problem in cell cultures using the experimental drug. Uh, the findings offer early promise that a similar approach might prevent or treat the root cause of Fragile X syndrome in people. So that's very good news. It's still a long way from treatment in humans, uh, the doctor of the study said, but um, very, very uh, significant and probably one of the most the most significant uh, finding for Fragile X. And this is coming to us from Cornell Medical College, which is very respected. And uh, what I found really interesting about it is that it appeared the malfunction that happens with the gene happens in the first trimester. Uh -huh. I'm going to sneeze. Okay. Bless you. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, bless um, you. So anyway, I, I found that very, very interesting um, that it happens in the first trimester. And of course, we know now from uh, so many different uh, research uh, projects that have been done that there is a genetic component. Yes. And I'm gonna fragile X. Yeah. 
Bless you. Excuse me. In all of autism, we know that there's a genetic component, but there's also environmental component. We don't know how oh, yeah. the genetic component is triggered by right. the environment, but we know that it's both. Right. I know people. And they call it epigenetics. Epigenetics. Turn that that literally genes can be altered by environment. In yeah. other words, the genetic uh, makeup may not result in autism, but then uh, environmental toxins can come into play and alter right. the genes. Right. And so I find it very interesting when I'm moving about the world and people say, well, you know, we just don't know what causes autism. Yeah. And do we know, you know, when are they going to find out whether it's genetic or whether it's environmental? And I and I love reminding everybody that has already been solved. Yes. We know that there we is an element of both of those things, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, now can we get to the part where we know what to do about it? Exactly. Can we hurry and get to that part? Can we hurry and get to that part? <laughs> we've got, you know, we've got Autism Awareness Month coming up. And uh, I think awareness is great. It's done so much to get Get children uh, diagnosed at a younger age, but I say it's time for Autism Care and Treatment Month. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that. So, uh, aside from these two studies on research, there um, there's some research that's showing that the new autism diagnostic criteria there's concern that it might delay care and reduce the total number of people uh, being diagnosed. Yeah, there's a big debate right now because at first they were saying it would reduce the number of people. People diagnosed with autism then they were saying well if you factor it back in the social communication disorder will get the same total but the question is whether those people who get that social communication disorder are they going to get services or are they going to have to fight for them kind of like the old PDD NOS well this is what concerns me because um in Wyatt's case, Wyatt was initially he was he was he could have been I always say diagnosed by a trained chimpanzee at the age of two, if that chimpanzee had known the diagnostic right. code, but. Um, he was not, and it took us, you know, another year and a half to get a full-on autism yeah. diagnosis, which he had. Um, but then he was diagnosed by the school district psychologist as having PDD NOS. Now, why he got that diagnosis is beyond me. He had clearly issues in social speech, and he had yeah. repetitive behaviors. Um, but at any rate, he got that PDD NOS. So would my son have then fallen through those cracks? and not qualified through regional for intensive ABA, which we did get funded finally at the age of five, yeah. it, it really concerns me. It really concerns me too. And I, and I want to encourage people that if you're going and getting a diagnosis right now and you get that social communication disorder that you fight and that you fight hard right into us, let us know. We'll, we'll be happy to cover it. Right. But don't allow that to delay your child getting ABA. We just had Dr. Grampache say that ABA is important for all of our kids. All of our kids. And it's important for all kids. Uh, if a child is behind, we need to be getting them ABA. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is, but mm -hmm. if you are one of those people that falls into this crack, you get that social communication disorder, let us know, and, and you need to get on your warrior outfit because right. you're going to have to fight for your services. I would also caution parents that if they do get that diagnosis, depending on where they get it, get another diagnosis. Sure. Um, I you know, sometimes, and I look at my own history with this, and I see one of the reasons why he might have gotten the PDD NOS. Uh, at that time, I was still, I was not in denial, denial, but I still was trying to make him appear more 
typical than he right. was. And so I didn't bring up, at that point, the parent interview was so important. Yeah. And my, the way I responded to the various questionnaires. Mm -hmm. And I think I really downplayed, uh, particularly a lot of the tantrums he was having, yeah. particularly a lot of the violent behavior, the self-injurious behavior. Yeah. And we, she came to visit the house and I made everything look like, oh, it's so wonderful here. Right. You know, don't, don't gloss over things. Don't kill the lily. Get real. Yeah. And and in fact, I was told before I had my first meeting with the regional center, somebody, great advice that they gave to me, they said, when they're asking you to describe your child's behavior, describe your child's behavior on their worst day. Mm -hmm. As if that is what it is. Uh, and make sure that they know what it is on the worst day. That yeah. That's what you focus on. It, it's a good guideline to follow because that's the way you get services. Yes. Okay. Okay, there's one more story. Um, we have, uh, oh, the big, this was an the interesting, this was a very encouraging, yeah. talking about speaking life. Um, at the 2014 Autism Investment Conference, which was an event or, organized by Autism Speaks in partnership with Google, um, and they offered a separate workshop for entrepreneurs doing autism-related work. Um, Brian Jacobs, who's a co-founder of a venture capital firm, Emergence Capital Partners, said, while autism has always been a part of our population, as our economy has shifted from agrarian work uh, to urban social workplaces, um, that this investor sees an opportunity to capitalize on the talents and availabilities for this group of workers. And he's taken a specific interest because he has a son with Asperger's, and he attended the conference in hopes of learning about additional entrepreneurial endeavors. And um, they're saying business opportunities range from drug development, educational iPad applications, to employment and residential services. Uh, Dex Dexter Braff of the Braff Group, which is a boutique investment bank uh, focusing on healthcare, uh, also sent a representative to the conference. And uh, they're, they're all looking at ways to align creation of value for investors with the creation of value for families in the autism space. So what they're looking to do uh, specifically is look at some of the talents of our children, their ability to focus in on the task. Mm -hmm. Many of our kids have uh, interest in computers, interest interested in animation, interested in very specific things. So they're looking at those skills and they're trying to find a way to match them with some of these investment opportunities. It's it's really a remarkable thing because you know where the money is, is where the attention always, is. And, always. And, and, you know, this is an opportunity for us to see some development of products and services and ways to fund them. Right. So I, I, we congratulate Autism Speaks and Google for being a part of this. Yes, we do. And all the people taking place and we hope it, it trickles down. Yeah. Right? Remarkable. So and we're going to have Vince, We right? have a great guest, yeah. Vince Redman, who He's we've had regular. on the show yes. before. We're, we've started having him on. Uh, we're trying to get him on as close to the first week in the month, right. uh, uh, every month. Sometimes his schedule doesn't jive with that, and we'll let you know when that isn't going uh, to happen. But Vince is a marriage and family therapist, but he's also somebody who has worked in the field of autism, providing ABA therapy, quality ABA therapy, for over 20 years. Yeah, he's been with Center for Autism and Related Disorders for 20 years. It's and remarkable. he has quite a background in dealing with not only uh, ABA therapy for your 
child, but also the family dynamic. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart yeah. because uh, I grew up with a brother with Down syndrome. And while it wasn't autism, of course, it was a developmental delay. And I'm, I'm really, really interested to hear Vince's thoughts on ways that we can encourage siblings because I had a real hard time with it. Yeah. And I'll talk to him about some of the th issues I had. And I know you have a lot of questions for him as well. Absolutely, because we're, we're talking about expanding our family. And so I need to, I need to know these things. Yeah. Okay. All right. So okay. stick with us back with Vince Redmond after these messages. When you find out you're having a boy, you always think like, oh, he's going to play football. He's going to do this and that. And then when he's diagnosed, all those things get washed away. It's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind, you know, where is he, what is he doing, is he safe? We really didn't know what we were dealing with. I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information. I was a young mom. I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism. Hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country. ACT Today is determined to bridge the gap. These families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grampiche, is an amazing woman, and she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable, and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports, things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from Act. From Act. What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called, and then they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because, you know, without it, we would, we would have been lost. The ACT grant was a total miracle. Without that, they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog. So we're so appreciated what they've done for us as a family. Recently, ACT Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. Everybody? There you go, got it. Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp. 
and they're with people who are supporting them and are making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart, so it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community. Welcome back to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We're so thrilled that we have a new feature on the show that once a month, Vince Redman is gonna join us. He is a marriage and family therapist, and he is also uh, a, a professional who's been working in the field of autism for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And by the way, he has worked with small children all the way up through adults. He is featured, actually, uh, in the film Recovered. And when he was much younger and all the kids in it were much younger. Yes, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> Uh, but he's a wonderful, wonderful resource for us to talk about some of the issues that we have as a family. Yes. So, Vince, welcome back to the show. So thrilled to have you again. Thank you, thank you. And and we're going to be talking about siblings today. And I was wondering if we could start out by talking about how, as a family, do we explain autism to the siblings? Well, I, I, again, that's depending on the age of the siblings, sometimes they're the older siblings, sometimes they're the younger siblings. Um, you, you really need to look at where their developmental milestones are. Where are they developmentally to be able to start talking about them? Now, obviously, it's going to be a little bit easier to talk to an older sibling about a younger sibling because they're going to be a little bit more mature, a little bit more cognitively developed and aware of, of the differences between them and, and, their, and their brother or sister. Um, but it does become a little bit more problematic when it's the younger sibling that you're trying to educate on their older sibling who has autism or is on the autism spectrum the the so long story short there's not one answer that i could i could give i think the biggest um variable that is getting you know making sure that the siblings and we'll probably talk a little bit more about this with future questions but making sure that the siblings are involved in all of the treatments all of the the family decisions, all of the, even the difficulties and the struggles that the families are having, making sure that the siblings are involved and have a voice in what's going on so that they can ask questions along the way. I think sometimes parents and families have the assumption that if they're not asking questions, they understand what's going on. Where a lot of times what I see, it's just that we haven't given them the, the opportunity to ask questions. We haven't given them the field in which they can ask questions. So I think that's very important to make sure that the siblings are involved not only in the therapy which we as the clinicians can make sure it happens as well but making sure that they're involved in some of the family conversations about what the family's changes are coming up what the family's going to have to do so that they have that opportunity to ask questions so yeah. I'm, I'm imagining it's a lot like when you're explaining the birds and the bees that you don't give more information that they can handle right right Right, yeah. right. And I think they they will guide you with the questions that they ask. As long as they have a comfortable uh, framework and groundwork for where they can ask questions and it's always met with with 
you know, a, a, a warm, a warm answer and an understanding answer at their developmental level. That's going to encourage them to continue to ask questions, and they will guide you with the questions that they need. They need to be answered. Okay, great. Now, Vince, obviously, there's lots of challenging behaviors that come along with autism. Right. How can parents help siblings cope? with some of those. There's challenging behaviors with every sibling, but with autism in particular, how can parents help with that? Right, and I think that too also varies from, you know, from your, you know, very uh, excessive, aggressive type of behaviors down to, you know, high rates of vocal stereotypy, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, all are behaviors that can be very disruptive to a family and all of behaviors that, that could have an impact on siblings. I think it goes back to, looking at what that behavior is and letting you know letting the, the sibling know why that behavior is happening you know uh, this is their way you know your your brother or sister's way of coming down when they do this this is what you would do or this is what you should do so it gives them a kind of a playbook of either how they're supposed to respond when these behaviors occur maybe it's using a uh, planned extinction um, where the child might have a excessive behavior that's for attention and we want everybody including the sibling to walk away or something like that so again we make them a part of the process so they also are a part of the solution so when we're talking to them they feel included they want to help they want to know what to do that will further their overall understanding of what's going on so really important that the siblings are involved in uh, the treatment and intervention programs, and particularly the ABA programs that uh, their brother or sister might be undergoing, and that they really have a basic understanding of how to deal with these challenging behaviors, like if a, a behavior needs to be put on extinction, and also to let them know ways that they can reinforce positive behaviors. Um, right. So, um, going into sort of society's view of autism, um, how can we help siblings deal with that and, and view that in a more positive way? Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a great a great question and a great topic because I think this is where a lot of the pressures on siblings really comes from. Inside the family, I think oftentimes it's more maintained, but when your friends or people at the grocery store or, you know, teachers are are talking about their sibling or looking at their sibling differently, or even in some, ex, you know, experiences where they actually show, um, you know, a negative reaction to their, to their sibling, this can be very damaging and very hurtful to a loving sibling. And I think that as we can't control the environment, we can't control how things are being received. So I think early on when the, you know, when these opportunities or these situations, opportunities, but when these situations occur, I think it's extremely important to not just let it go by without a discussion with just turning our, you know, turning our heads and, for, you know, uh, uh, to some extent pretending it doesn't happen. We have to look at the siblings' um, points of view and validate their hurt, validate that they mm. care for their sibling, validate that this was not right and this was a behavior or a response or something that the you know that the other person did that wasn't fair to their brother or to their sister they don't understand what um, autism is or they don't understand the challenges that their that their sibling goes through so i think it's extremely important to make sure when those situations happen that we do look at the sibling and you know see how that affects them talk to them about their their experience through that and then again working through them with not only educating um, but also to make sure that they understand that 
that this is nothing that they they were responsible for or had any you know any you know, uh, uh, expectation to change. Yeah, that's so important. And I have a personal connection that I'd like to relate. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about that and some things that happened with my brother with Down syndrome that uh, ways that you can either reinforce shame or you can take away the shame as a parent for a sibling. Uh, some important things that, that my parents did for me. Um, so we're going to take a little break then. So we're going to be right back with more on helping siblings deal when they have uh, a brother or sister diagnosed with autism spectrum disorders. We'll be back with more in a minute. Hi, welcome to Camp Discovery, a free-to-play suite of fun, interactive learning games for kids two and up designed by experts in autism. Camp Discovery will open your early learner to a world of new skills, shapes, numbers, colors, locations, emotions, and more. Let's get started. Please choose a level. Objects. First, Camp Discovery's intelligent preference assessment determines your child's preferred reward for choosing correctly. Okay, got it. Let's play. Camp Discovery creates a motivating learning environment for your child by minimizing incorrect responses and maximizing successful ones. Find the shoes. Respond correctly and your child is rewarded with their favorite animations. You did it. Respond incorrectly and our unique prompting system guides your child to the correct answer by making it the largest choice. That's not it. Try again. Way to go. Continue to answer correctly and the size gradually reduces until the child makes the correct choice independently. You win! Success! Rewards motivate learning. Complete a round and your child is rewarded with a fun mini-game. Track your child's progress with easy-to-read graphs. Multiple settings options allow you to customize Camp Discovery to your child's unique needs. All this in one single app, the Camp Discovery app, available for free on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Store. Hi, we're back with Vince Redman, um, who is a marriage and family counselor, as well as a uh, has extensive uh, background in autism and applied behavioral analysis. And um, he is talking with us about how siblings um, often shoulder a lot of burdens when they have a brother or sister with autism spectrum disorders and things we can do to help them. Uh, parents can do and others can do. Uh, supportive uh, friends and other relatives. And uh, Vince, um, I, I was saying in the break, never underestimate how very uh, encouraging words to a sibling can help heal the hurt that they sometimes face because uh, I had a brother with Down syndrome and I wasn't really aware of the fact that he had Down syndrome and uh, a neighborhood bully when um, I was around six or seven years old uh, came up to me and said, you know, your brother's a retard. And I, I felt such shame, so much shame in fact that I couldn't talk to my parents about it, but I did have a very loving grandmother and she had the wisdom to say to me, you know, what a, what a sad boy he is. He doesn't understand that the you The bully. Were, yeah, the bully. What yeah. a sad boy that boy, bull, that Butch, his name was, believe it or not, Butch the bully. <laughs> and you are a very special sister. And she went on to say that God only gives special uh, children like David to sisters like me. And she said, he's a love child. And he was put here on this earth for the purpose of giving and receiving love and teaching tolerance and compassion. And that changed things for me from feeling shamed to feeling proud. 
So are there ways that parents can can just help reinforce that this is something that siblings, that this can actually be an asset in life to have a, a, a sibling with autism? Yeah, and I think you, you phrased it beautifully. It's the power of words. It's amazing how words really oftentimes dictate how we think. The way we phrase things, the way we talk about things really has a direct impact on how we view our lives, our environments, the people around us. And I think you're, you know, you're, you're God blessed grandmother that it was, it was so, so, so absolutely true and sweet of what she was saying. That was, you know, similar to what I was thinking as well, when we were talking about the previous question about talking to the child about their, you know, their feelings and their points of view so that we can have influence on some of that point of view by using these words, showing that, you know, uh, uh, we're being blessed with this challenge. We're being blessed with the opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life, to make a difference in somebody's world, to show not only our sibling um, how to better their life, but also how it Im impacts and can improve other people's lives. Like you had said, understanding patience, empathy, tolerance, those types of things. And when you when we come across people that lack that or aren't demonstrating that, again, shame on them. This is something that is is a part of our human makeup and needs to be utilized um, when we're dealing with with people that are different from us, either it be with with special needs or it just is a different point of view on how they view or or live their life. And also as parents, I think Shannon and I will attest to this, that we can have teachable moments for now we don't have you know we have the uh, only ch children with autism but we can have teachable moments in dealing with some of this rejection and shame um i remember a, a time when wyatt was you know running uh in a little track club and some boys were making fun of his stemming and you know they were going what's he doing da, 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 da. now i could have gotten angry but instead i went over to those boys and i said listen my son has autism and kids with Autism sometimes have odd behaviors, but they're no less than you. They're no less intelligent, and they're just different. So I just wanted you to understand what that was about. And I think as parents, when we model that behavior, the siblings get empowered, don't you think? You do much better at that than I do. Let's just cut right <laughs> to the chase of it. Nancy's much better. I have seen her be incredible and said to her, you are a woman of grace. I'm usually the parent who goes over and talks to the parents and say, could you please educate your children? I I'm much more gruff, and I need to I need to adopt her her much more gaunty mo motions about these things. Let's just keep it real here. Um, I mean, but Shannon, but again, that's a natural instinct to protect your baby, Mama Bear. That's, that's you know, but to be honest, I think that's the common response, right? Mm -hmm. Is we're protective of our children. Yeah. We, again, disability or not disability, we protect our children. I think this often you know comes up as well as you know parent student or parent teacher conferences when they say, oh, your student's struggling in reading. We immediately are, what, what, no, he does this and this and this, or she does this and this. It's, it's in our innate ability to protect our children. But mm -hmm. going back to what Nancy's saying, I think she she's also demonstrating this is a form of protection because by educating yes. the environment around where our child is, that's the only way they're going to be able to integrate in appropriately or integrate in um, and start to form some of those friendships and, and, and uh, uh, relationships that we want them to have. And to demonstrate that for our siblings, especially the older siblings, because they oftentimes take uh, – 
kind of a pseudo parental role at times. Oh. Um, Which leads into our next question. Yeah, show that. yeah, yeah well, that leads into the next question. Because we want to know, this This can be a very stressful thing. Oh. Sometimes kids are put in a, in a circumstance, if there's a child in their family with any kind of a disability where they are cast in the role of the parent, like take care of your brother, take care of your sister, and that can extend up into their teen years and into their adulthood. You yeah. have said before that oh. you worried about what who was going to take care of David. My you felt whole a responsibility. Life, my whole life, I had a concern about my parents obviously passing away before him, which actually didn't happen. He passed away before either of my parents. Uh, but uh, my brother and I used to have, my older brother and I used to have extensive conversations about we will never have him in a home. He will always live with one of us. We will always take care of him. We felt this responsibility. But to my parents' credit, they gave me some practical information that kind of alleviated those concerns. And I want to talk about some of those things that families can help. What my parents did was they sat down and talked to us when we were, you know, probably in our late teens. And they said, we have set up a special needs trust for your brother. My father, God bless his soul, uh, got active and started something called the Good Neighbor Village, which was going to be a group home uh, where older children with autism and Down syndrome, young adults, would live with caregivers. Mm -hmm. So he was very, you know, um, forward thinking in doing that. And they always let us know this was not ultimately our responsibility, but psychologically we felt that. So what are some of the things Vince said? you know, maybe some practical ways families can alleviate the concern of a sibling feeling like it's all their responsibility. Right. And, and again, going back to what I had said in the beginning, you know, uh, we want to make sure we're looking at developmental levels. This isn't the type of conversations we're going to have with a, you know, a five to eight year old. But when we start getting into the preteens and teens, where we're really pressing responsibilities with them in individuation, this is the time that we want to start. You, you know that they're starting to think about what if, what are the responsibilities that ha they have? And it, it, this is kind of, a, a, I guess, a twofold answer. One would be when they're responsible for their sibling just on a day-to-day -day basis, hey, I'm running the store, take care of your brother, you know, we're going to babysit, that type of thing, is making sure that they understand that this is clear deadlines, that, that they're taking responsibility of them from 9 to 12 or one to four, so that they understand that at four o'clock, their responsibilities are relieved. I think sometimes when it's take care of your brother, they have, you know, a lot of the siblings have this sense that they're responsible for them, even if the parents aren't around or are around. So there's this, this kind of parentified role that they start playing, which sometimes could be very jam or, or very challenging for them because they're losing some of their adolescence, some of their right. innocence, because they're spending the time worrying about taking care of and watching and being responsible for their sibling. So discrete timelines, I think, is important. But also, again, like Nancy, what had happened with you, I think, is fantastic. Being able to, uh, to start demonstrating or start explaining to the sibling what's going to happen in the future, financially, uh, you know, maybe vocationally, educationally, you know, and just independent living, that there's a plan and this plan is going to continue to develop so that 
the sibling doesn't feel that this is going to just be left on their shoulders to deal with, that there actually is going to be a plan for care for their sibling as they get older might alleviate a lot of their anxiety. Mm -hmm. Now, Vince, we're almost out of time, but I want, I, I've got a quick question from a viewer sure. and, a, and a question that we, we also want to know. You've dealt with a lot of individuals on the autism spectrum. Just give us a quick example of what happens to the siblings when they grow up. I think a lot of times parents are so afraid that it's going to be a horrible thing when the, when the siblings grow up but you've seen many examples of siblings that have a great relationship when they've grown up and that the sibling is really a better person for having gone through this training and I think honestly it's it's rare that that doesn't happen the majority of the siblings that that I've dealt with over the years and that I continue to see have a very close loving relationship with with their you know their their sibling that has autism um, I, I can't I, just really quickly going through my mind, I can only think of one situation in which um, there isn't that, you know, really tight bond, protective, um, as well as, you know, a, a pure love um, for their sibling. There's only one case, but that's, there's a whole lot of, uh, of tangible or variables with that one that okay. made it difficult for the sibling to really have access to their sibling. But I think to ease people's anxieties, as they continue to mature and they continue to grow, and we, we continue to educate them about the autism, what their child, what their sibling is doing, and what the plans are for the future, the more. Uh, their anxiety goes down and the more their love and empathy comes out. I think that's so true and I hope I'm a testament to the way I live my life of having had I, a brother with Down syndrome I, I and a child with autism. Are. I think you are. And then a quick question from a viewer that has sure. been writing in this week. A mom of three boys, mm. two are on the spectrum, one is not. And unfortunately, because of the way the drop-off situation is with the boys in the morning, the one who is not on the spectrum is the last one who gets dropped off at the classroom. We're looking at if we can change that. But right now, the one who is not on the spectrum gets dropped off last, and the principal of his school is punishing him on a daily basis and making him go leave the class, get a slip, he's out of class during that time, and marking him tardy. And the mom is saying, I just, I just don't know what's the best tactic to take with this principal because she just doesn't get it that I'm facing all these other challenges with the other two boys and that this poor kid has already been through the mill and can't we do something different so how can we talk to this principal Vince to, to make it clear that this is not a family and this is not a kid that we need to be penalizing for being late Right, and I think that's the first step, is actually sitting down, having a face-to-face, one-to-one um, meeting with the principal to talk. And again, I know the specifics of the situation, and I know we're, we're getting down to the time, but a lot of times nowadays, everything's communicated through emails. And I think a lot of times we lose that understanding in the, in the actual uh, angst that the families are going through when they're dealing with uh, you know si or children that have autism, especially two of them. So my first recommendation is have a face-to-face -face sit down with the principal, not in an IEP meeting, just a one-to-one -one meeting where they can sit down and discuss. This is what my responsibilities are. I have two children on the on the autism spectrum. These are their times they start school. I can't be in two places at one time. I've checked my carpool, I've checked my friends, I've checked everything. I just can't get him here until this certain time. You know, and work with the principal and coming up with a solution. Maybe they're aware of a neighbor or they're aware of someone that lives in their community that might be able to help out, or maybe there's a ride share um, program that they're available with. Now, from that point of view, then, you know, we. we 
solutions can then, can then be formed. I mean, very rarely have I had a principal that when they've had that type of direct meeting and direct understanding of what there's what's going on with all the children in the family, have they not been able to come up with a resolution? If there isn't, then they might have to, you know, go a step further, seek legal counsel and, and look at the rights of the child being violated type of a uh, uh, of, of a situation, okay. but by all means, that would be last case resort. Right. Okay. Very okay. good Thank advice. you so much, Very Vince. We advice. appreciate you. We'll see you back next Vince, month. Vince, thank you so much for... Right. No um, problem, ladies. Have yeah. a great week. Thank you. And I think normally we would take a break, but I really oh, want to I really want to talk about uh, what's happening, so let's not take a break. If you're okay, okay, great. With that. Let's keep going. Let's uh, keep going. Okay, so... And by the way, whoever that mother uh, is that wrote in, um, you know, if you need us to call the principal, just class <laughs> Can I tell you, I already said that. And she gave me the phone number. So <laughs> Look so out, we're, we're thinking, you don't know we're thinking what you along took the same on. Lines. All right. Okay, watch out. You That's don't right. know who you messed with That's here. Right. Okay, uh, we want to talk about what we've got coming up in April. It's obviously Autism Awareness Month. Yes. There's a lot going on with all the autism organizations. Yes. And ACT Today, Autism Care and Treatment Today, is no different. Yeah. Um, we'd like to see it go from Autism Awareness Month to Autism Care and Treatment Month because yes. we think think we're all pretty aware now. What are we going to do? You know, so uh, that's where we come in. We provide care and treatment for families that cannot access or afford it. And one of our largest programs is our military program, yes. as most of the viewers know. And we're going into our fourth year of our act today. It's actually the one hope Act Today for Military Families Run and Festival. Yeah. And it's going to be in San Diego on April 19th. There, uh, Emily's got some information up there for you. And um, you can go to our uh, Act Today um, for Military Families .org to sign up. You can support us virtually, uh, you know, and you don't have to come to San Diego, but we need, we need more support. We need more people to make donations to the teams. There's a lot of different yeah. teams, autism related, military related, fitness related. And we're going to show a little video from, from last year's event. Emily, do we have time for that? No, okay. We don't have time no, for that. We'll show it. Time. We'll show it when we have Jenny Wu on, our campaign okay, director. Which I, which I believe is in two weeks. In, uh, or yeah, is it next week? Maybe I'm not next sure. week. But, but she's going to come on and talk about her specific challenges yeah. with having a child that's nonverbal, many, many challenges. And we provided him with an iPad and some programs. And she'll tell you what a difference it made in her life. So this is really a way you can support yeah. those who support us. And let's face it, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm watching this stuff going on over in Russia, and I'm like, please, I am so happy we have a strong military. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and, I, and I just want to backtrack a little, and, and, and if you don't watch this show and you haven't seen us talk about this before, it's so important that we get autism care and treatment to everyone, right? That's, yes. that's without question. But one of the reasons why you guys have focused on the military is because they statistically have a higher incidence. Yes, they don't have, the DO, Department of Defense uh, has not come out with the latest study. When we were one in 110, military was one in 88. So now they're obviously higher right and they move on average every two years so imagine all of you out there with children with autism having to move every two years and then the third thing is that they are funded their insurance generally only funds a third of the recommended ABA and then the fourth reason is in most of these families there's a parent member deployed yeah and 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 so it is a, a perfect storm for a an autism storm. family yeah. and and they need to be supported 
supported. If you think about how incredible these people are, that they're putting their lives and their families on the line for us right. and, and being ready at a moment's notice to go someplace else for us. And, and we have to step up and make sure that we're there for and them. And let me right? tell you that I went to an event, a beautiful event that Autism Speaks sponsored uh, two or three years ago on the USS Intrepid. And there were wounded warriors there and families with children with autism. And there was a lot of talk about awareness and what we need to do. But there was a line waiting to talk to me about getting grants for the kids. Yeah. That's what they want. They said, yeah. you ask any wounded warrior who has a special needs child, a child with autism, or any, take care of our children. That's what they want. They right. don't really want the DVDs and the cigarettes and the gum. They don't want that stuff. They yeah. want their families to be taken care of. Yeah, and it, and it should be something that just happens, but it doesn't. It doesn't and so, all the time. So, but you guys can get involved. Yeah. You can do a lemonade stand, or you can go on to the it, site, and you can be a virtual runner and yes. have people Once donate. again, act today from militaryfamilies.kentera.org. Okay. And so if you go to that, you can make a donation. And when we say make a donation, $5 makes a difference. It really does. If everybody on our email list made a $5 donation, we wouldn't have to have this run. We'd have all the fundraising done. There we go. Now, somebody wrote in a question this morning. They said, Dear Shannon and Nancy, I'm interested in getting a collection box for autism. Okay. I know a few businesses that are willing to put them on the counter. How right. do I go about doing that? Now, right. I'm assuming we that can you do need it for, it for uh, Autism for Care today. today. Okay. And you can choose whether you want it to be specifically for for the military families or whether you want it to, you have several different subdivisions yes. that it can go to and yes. they can decide or just the general Right. Uh, why don't you write to me, nancy at act-today.org, nancy at act-today.org, write to me directly and we will send you a packet actually of what you can do. We'll send you brochures, we'll send you donation boxes, anything you need to support that effort. Thank you. It is wonderful. And, and those of you who are watching who didn't ask this question, if you know a business, if, so, if yeah. somebody in the family has a business that you'd like to put a collection box on the counter, uh, or, or again, you want to do a lemonade stand, yeah. I always think, oh, it's, you know, so it'll end up being $10. But $10 makes a big difference Let when me tell a whole you. bunch of people do $10. Let me tell you a story that there was a lemonade stand done by yeah. Laura Marklin and her family, and that ended up leading us to a man who ended up giving tens of thousands of dollars to our cause. You never know what Because he stopped happen. by that lemonade stand. One little raindrop is a ripple in the ocean of life, folks. It's like, once again, speak life. You'll be amazed at the miracles that happen. And you will feel better. You will actually feel better if you do something, you right? Will. You will. You know, I, I, I say all the time that we all get a little down sometimes. And, and the cure for when you're down is if you can take action. Taking action. And if you take action out, for someone helping else. Helping others will make you feel better about absolutely, yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we recently did a thing that your husband took part part of uh, a, a father roundtable yeah. um, that we're calling Facing Fatherhood. And one of the things that I noticed at the end was that each one of those fathers has something that they do in the community and they all take a moment to talk about why it's so important to them, yeah. uh, what they support, and that they had to get a little outside themselves and do something else. So it's important for all of us to do that. Yeah, I think these, th you know, when these things happen to us, when autism happens to us, when cancer happens to us, when, when all of these life-changing experiences experiences happen, hopefully we come out on the other side realizing, number one, it's not all about us. Yeah.
and that we are transformed by these experiences to really be more compassionate, more caring individuals. Yeah. And you know, it can it can be a blessing in disguise. You just never know. Absolutely. So we're about out of time here, but we want to give you guys a little bit more information. Make sure that you go to act-today.org. You to can find get, out more. You can get you can go, all the information there. You can go to the military there. family page. You can go to Act Across America. There's a there's a little thing you can click on there where you can do a fundraiser for there us. There we go. So make sure that you participate. It's really important that we give back to those military families. Yes, and all families. We we fund all, all care and treatment. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to be back tomorrow. We've got quite the lineup oh, show good. for tomorrow. We have Dr. Adele Nadowski is going right. to be here with us. Dr. Jonathan Tarbox Wonderful. is going to be with us. We have Bill Cowell, who is the producer of the film Bad IQ, one of the last things that uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, oh. Hoffman worked on. And we also have uh, a woman from an organization that does ABA as a nonprofit. Oh, great. Uh, absolutely amazing. So a full, full show. I'll be watching. Tomorrow. We're out of time. Okay. Uh, come back. And until then, give your kiddos a hug from us. And give yourselves a hug from me and speak life. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>